0: Russell Westbrook
1: is off to Houston. It's going to be scary. Not for us. <laughs>
0: no! James Harden just caught a body here in Los Angeles. And Westbrook is off the freeway.
1: What's up, guys? Welcome to the Podcast. My name is Saul Monali at Saul Monali NBA on Twitter. Here joined by the great Jonathan Fagan of the Houston Chronicle. How you doing, man? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing all right. So I think we should start with some news. Obviously, on the twenty ninth, Eric Gordon returned from his right knee arthroscopy. He was doing rehab for for a few weeks. Now he's back. He's averaging fourteen point seven points per game and forty percent shooting from three point range. For a while now, I've thought that the Rockets, I thought of the Rockets as a tier two title contender. And the biggest caveat I gave was Eric Gordon's return. Um, how important to you is he to the Rockets in April, May, and June? Oh. He-
0: always elevated them to a different level than people talk about very much. Uh, He can be just such a a weapon to have in that second unit, And, and to have when either, it depends on which year we're talking about, so when one of the two star starting guards, whether that be James Harden and Chris Paul, or now James Harden and Russell Westbrook, to have him on the floor when one of those is out. It gives them at all times such a prolific backcourt when he's right uh, that he is key. I did not see them, and I guess this is what you meant, I I did not see them as as much of a threat as some of the other teams in the West unless he was right.
1: In in a lot of
0: ways, him getting that procedure November 13th early enough to not just get back and help their record and seeding and everything else, but to be at full strength in plenty of time before the playoffs, that was a very good decision for the Rockets. It gives him a chance to be whatever it is he can be.
1: About that procedure, why do you think he did get that done during the season and not during the summer?
0: Well, you know, I asked him about that, and I think, you know, his answer wasn't real specific, but I felt like he thought it was something he could manage, and it's just part of playing in the NBA as you get to 30 or, you know, close to it. That All right, You know, I need more treatment. I need more ice. I don't think he thought it was going to affect his play to the level that it was. I mean, why would he? He had never played the way he did to start the year, even though he had that problem last year. The problem wasn't new, but it had affected him to a much greater level the way he started this season. He did not think that would happen. He thought summer, rehab, continued therapy, alright, I'm at the stage of my career now, I gotta ice more and do everything else more. I don't think he thought of it to be the issue that it clearly was.
1: Yeah, I don't think he ha- he knew that there was debris in his knee to begin with. I think, like, they did the MRI in, in November, as you said, and they found le- legitimate debris in his knee and they had to scope it out. Like, the, I, I don't think he knew that. I think he knew there was something that was up with it. I don't think he knew exactly what, what was going on there. No
0: question. And, and- players play with stuff that at a certain point in their career they have to deal with and even when they're young they see the guy across the room having to do that I I, I really believe he thought that's just something and why wouldn't he he played well last year he did not finish the year the way he started this year so there was no reason for him to believe it had gotten to a, a situation where it would affect his play the way it has
1: yeah, yeah, I agree. And we, We've been talking about him on an offensive basis. Mike D'Antoni this week talked about his ability to defend the ball. And if you, if you look at the metrics, the Rockets have been a better defensive team every single year with Eric Gordon on the floor. Have we underrated this aspect to his game and how he can impact the Rockets defensively?
0: I, it's hard for me to say underrated because I'm not sure the way he's been rated. You know, so it's hard for me to answer. He's really good. He's been really good since he's been with the Rockets. The one part that I do think hasn't been noticed, because it hasn't been true throughout his career to the degree that it was last year, he's good in the post. His post defense was really very good. It didn't come up anywhere near as often as it does with James Harden, but he was very effective on the switches, where Austin Rivers is very good on the ball, uh, really. He, he's been probably their best on-the-ball guard through this season, but he's not as good in the low post as when he gets there and switches. That doesn't come up as much, but Gordon is very good in both both regards. The thing he doesn't do very well, which can be considered defensively, Austin doesn't do as well as... as you could use, given how good a defensive player he is, neither one of them, or Daniel House quite often, put a body on a body for someone else to clean up the rebound. They could go get rebounds, but when it comes to just body on a body, let Russ go fly in and get the defensive rebound for that second unit, that's one of the areas they need to improve with their wings in that
1: second group. Right, I agree. They're they're not very good at boxing out, and when you talk when you talk about his ability to defend post players, and his, and both of their abilities, Austin and Eric's ability to defend on the ball, that's that becomes apparent when you watch guys like Ben McLemore and Russell Westbrook. Like, I think one of the bigger like benefits they got from Eric Gordon returning is they can play guys like McLemore less minutes, and they can play guys like Westbrook less minutes, and you can get more positive, or at least you know non-negative defenders on the floor at all times.
0: Yeah, although it will be interesting to see what Ben McLemore becomes defensively as the years go on. Because he's gotten sporadic minutes as he's gotten a little further into his career. You know, in the beginning he got lots of minutes, but young guys like that rarely defend very well. And then he was kind of in and out of lineups in his last two years before this season. He He works defensively. You know, he's not great. And he makes some mistakes But the effort plays he brings you. Uh, He's a guy, uh, I kind of wonder, as his career goes on, because he does play hard, even on the defensive end, he doesn't just play hard when it means running on a break that he can end with a layup or running to the corner to get a three. He plays hard on the defensive end. He could be a guy at that stage of his career continues to improve.
1: Yeah, that'd be interesting. J.R. Smith was a guy like that for me. Like where at the beginning of his career, like the defense was a little bit inconsistent, but as he got older, he the you you did see see you did start to see the effort kind of translate onto the floor, and you know he was obviously a big part of those Cavs teams that won the title. Uh, yeah, I could see that. I could see that. But but. In the current state of things, uh, the, the Rockets are much better off with uh, Eric Gordon and Austin Rivers, and even James Harden this season uh, taking the floor defensively. Because uh, I, I just—it's just hard to trust uh, a guy like Ben McLemore at this point in his career. But 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 uh, we do have a second bit of news this week. Isaiah Hardenstein secured a backup center spot for now. Uh, he is averaging 14.1 points per game, uh, 11.7 rebounds per game, 1.3 blocks per game per 36 minutes on 70.4% true shooting. My big worry with this is obviously he's played well to earn it. And and those games that Clint Capella missed uh, due to his right heel injury uh, were big for that for him. But my big worry for, for this team is whether or not Mike D'Antoni sticks to his guns and continues to play Isaiah once perhaps they add another big man down the line. Or, or if, you know, perhaps uh, Isaiah has a bad game or, you know, he's not as effective as he was earlier in the season. My, my worry is that Mike pulls the plug early. Like, what is your feel on that with, with Isaiah? Well, I don't
0: think he'll pull the plug in Atlanta on Wednesday. And that's when you know a guy's in a rotation. Because, sure, he stuck with him when he played well in the two games Clinton was out. He came back with him last game against Philly after he played well off the bench against Denver. So, okay, he played well for three straight games. He did not play well last game. Not bad, um, but he did have a couple of the Isaiah-type top fouls. And those are the things that always kept him from getting more minutes. He has some offensive skills, And they always saw that, and he will play hard. He didn't get a lot of rebounds, but he chased quite a few, uh, and one of which that caused Philly to not control it went out of bounds off the Sixers, which was all on Isaiah's effort. But it was overall not a real great performance. I feel fairly certain he will remain in the rotation Wednesday and get another look. Now, there will be times, and I think this was true even before he had an off game, that they go to the small lineup. That the small lineup, uh, people hate it instinctively because, I guess we all grew up seeing. Well, you don't go with a six-five center, <laughs> but the results are there. I, they, you know, the last eight minutes against the Nets game should make people feel better, and there have been plenty of others over the last three years. And there are teams around the league who have used small lineups without Draymond Green. I mean, yeah, if you got Draymond Green. It, but you don't have to have Draymond Green for it to work. They will have times they will do that again. When things aren't going well, when they absolutely need spacing, it's one of the things people don't get. They score more in the paint when they go small. It's not, it's not you can't score inside. You just have to take a bunch of threes because you have just three-point shooters on the floor. No, you actually can drive more. You can, You know, the great example actually was last game where you have the team that scores the most in the post in the NBA against the team, the Rockets, that average, I think, one point per game in the post, yet they score almost exactly the same number in the paint and almost exactly the same number within 10 feet as one another. The Rockets do it by facing the basket and driving. The Sixers do it with back to the basket. And some driving, too, because of the cutting and, and Ben Simmons finishing. But they post up more than anyone. They score the same inside. Which takes us back to the small lineup that I do think you will see, again, because when things bog down, they go that way to get Russ going to the basket, to get James going to the basket.
1: No, I agree with you. It, it's been their break-in-case-of-emergency lineup for a while now, and th- in this season more than ever, because... You see when when teams trap Harden, like it's just harder to do when there's three competent shooters on the floor at all times. Like when you have Russ in, okay, well you can have three other shooters in around Harden and you can have Russ drive into the basket with a spaced floor without Capella blocking, you know, clogging up the lane or without Isaiah clogging up the lane. You get more of a spacing dynamic that you don't get with the traditional five-man unit. But... Before we get to the fun stuff, I want to kind of get your feel on the team because we talked about it earlier in but the podcast. This wasn't fun stuff? I'm, I'm confused. Well, no, this was this was fun stuff, but this was kind of newsy stuff. Before, before we get to the fun stuff, I want to get kind of your feel for the team in terms of their place in the NBA as title contenders. We talked about it earlier. I currently have teams like the Bucks and Lakers and sometimes even the Clippers ahead of them right now, but I want to know what you think.
0: Well, I think obviously the Bucs deserve to be. And the Lakers probably, you'd say, are, uh, you know, they look unbelievable. They're well-constructed, and they have LeBron and Anthony Davis playing at an MVP caliber level. Uh, You know, the Rockets have two superstars, two former MVPs. Russ is playing much better, but I don't know that you would say he's playing on the James Harden, Anthony Davis, LeBron James level. And so there you go. I'd, I'd say the Lakers right now, you'd put in that level up ahead of them. Uh, The Clippers are pretty unpredictable right now, kind of as the Rockets were last month. Lose badly with a guy out, two guys out, but lose really badly at home to Memphis. Barely hang on to beat the Knicks again, uh, this time with Kawhi out. The the Grizzlies game was with Paul George out. But right now, I I think the Rockets' Clippers are in that group I'd probably say Boston in that group as well. The Rockets haven't played Boston yet. That'll be interesting to see. They haven't played the Lakers yet. That'll be real interesting to see.
1: Yeah,
0: I, I'd say there's your echelons, though. The, the two leaders, the leader of the East, leader of the West, they're in one group, and then there's about three others in the next group, four others. What? Rockets' record what? against winning teams would what, be why I'd say they're in that next group. You know, when they have the second-best record in the NBA – just a half a game behind Milwaukee. Their record against winning teams, the the difference between them and the best record in the NBA against teams with winning records is the season opener. That's the difference. So that's why they belong in that group way up there, in the contenders group.
1: Yeah, my belief in the Clippers has been shaky as of late. I mean, as you said, they obviously lost a couple bad games, and even in the game that they barely hung on to beat with the Knicks, like, they allowed 45 points in that first quarter. That's just, it's hard for you to keep your your belief going when, when a team's allowing that much, but... Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I have the Rockets in that second tier, maybe at the top of that second tier, but still, nonetheless, in that second tier. Their defense is kind of the reason I have them there. Like, they, if they can get to a top ten level, I'll elevate them to a tier one level. But I mean, it's just when you're when you're consistently mediocre, average in the league in defense, like that, it, it's just hard. It's just hard to 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 put that much stock into the Rockets as a legitimate bona fide title contender.
0: Yeah, and you know, especially they're they're so inconsistent defensively. Uh, So they have potential, and maybe they just have to get well and get the minutes under control, get them the right numbers. Uh, They're 17 in defensive rating, which isn't very good for a contender. Uh, They're 12 in the last 15 games, and they've been pretty up and down even in those 15 games, but they're 12th in the last 15 games yeah you kind of have to be a top 10 defense they're not there yet it'll be interesting to see though if they, and here's another thing are they really going to stay healthy the rest of the year no one's ever going to get hurt again but if they stay healthy and get the minutes where they need to be get a good defensive player on the court more as you were talking about earlier with eric Gordon. do they bump themselves up you know, get that defensive rating to where they're ranked around 12 and have it from January 1st on, at least, in a top 10 level.
1: Yeah, I'll be interested to see how they perform uh, in 2020. The, the the last two games in particular have been pre- pretty impressive. Uh, their win against Denver and their win against the Sixers, they've buckled down, down defensively to a level that's been top 10-ish in the league in defensive ratings. So uh, I'll be interested to see how they play going forward. But let's get to the fun stuff. Let's get to the fun stuff. So one of the reasons I brought you on, uh let's talk about trades. Trade season is upon us, December 15th the official start date basically. You see, you call that the
0: fun stuff, I call it the pain in the <laughs> stuff. But
1: go ahead. Well, it's the fun stuff to the people listening, right? You know. Uh, that's the stuff people care about. That's the stuff people come into our benches about like oh, who are the Rockets going to trade? Who are the Rockets trading for? Like that that's the stuff people ask us about. So the, that that's the stuff. That's why it's the fun stuff. But Um, Before we get to that, the Rockets have been very vocal about not wanting to pay repeater tax down the road, and Maury has said multiple times this summer that he's been authorized to pay the luxury tax by Tillman Fertitta. I think it's only natural to be skeptical about their willingness to pay it after the Russell Westbrook trade pushed the repeater tax window down the line, and the fact that they dodged it last year. How significant of a motivation will ducking the tax be this season to the Rockets?
0: It's really hard to answer that because of what you said, where they insist that was not a goal last year. And I, I do say to everybody who went crazy, oh man, they just wanted them to get out of the luxury tax for months. People were unfairly, in my opinion, ripping James Ennis. They weren't. He was better offensively than what the Rockets expected. He wasn't as good defensively. It didn't. The switching didn't work well for him, but. You know, because he wasn't very good in the low post defensively, and as a rocket wing, he, he ended up there a lot. But he wasn't bad, but he got ripped. The same people who were ripping him then said, oh, what they did to get under the luxury tax. Well, what they did was dump James Harris. <laughs> they would have been over if they didn't do that move, and they did it because they thought Iman Chumpert was a better option there, and they were wrong. But I I just didn't understand why everybody went crazy over them not paying a luxury tax. It doesn't get you an extra win if you pay a luxury tax. James Ennis might have helped. That was the mistake part of it, that they gambled more on uh, Iman Shumpert, who did not play well for them. He had some moments, though. He he had some good moments in the postseason. I, I just never understood all the anxiety over that because it wasn't as if they traded someone who was a big fan favorite to get under the tax. All of that said, I don't know. What to, are, are they going to then say, hey, we could do it this easily, get under the tax again? All right, let's go and do it. But if there's a deal and they like a guy, I, I'm going to take them at their word until I see otherwise. You know, that can they do it? The The, the other thing is that plays into all of this, and I think probably kind of touches on your next question that I was anticipating. What is most likely for them to do doesn't seem to be the giant lineup change. It seems to be more likely get a guy who's been undervalued, maybe not playing where he is, that they think will fit and work with them. You know, somebody... And, you know, a lot of talk about wings. I'm thinking it's more the four who can play five type and range-shooting type. Uh, If they can find guys like that who are, like, there was talk about Covington, whom they like a lot. We know they like a lot, but he's kind of expensive. Those are harder to do. Everybody talks those things. Relatively few around the league happen. I would think it would be something more like the Amon Chumper type thing, where if you can pick up a good role-player piece, and in their case, maybe even somebody who's not getting the big minutes somewhere that or, or even playing somewhere that they think in their system can contribute. That's what I would think is most likely.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think they're definitely going to look at more affordable options there that aren't playing heavy minutes in, in their specific situation. I think we both suspect that the Houston's probably going to trade Nene to get out of his second year. Am I correct in assuming that?
0: Yeah, I would think that there's a that if they make a trade at the deadline, I mean, it would be very surprising if Benet is not somewhere because that's the only reason he's still on the roster. Uh, you know, it's not to help fill out one more line in, in the injury status report. And so it, it's just to have that money that can help. Obviously, it won't help as much as what they wanted, but it can still help. And so, yeah, that's a possibility. And you know that's the other thing when you talk talking about big trades, they are not a team flush with assets, trade assets. Yeah, they don't have a whole lot of big trade assets. And if you wanted to talk big trades, well, Eric Gordon's not eligible to be traded. Uh, Austin Rivers and Gerald Green have veto power over trades. Uh, not uh, you know Gerald Green's not going to play this year, but if you just needed salary, no, that's probably not going to happen. You know what? It's pretty hard. They're not trading Russ James, probably not PJ because he's so valuable to what they do, and that position is thin. Who are they trading? You know, <laughs> who's it going to be? To me, I think they have to be real cautious about that first round pick. Now, I don't know if they agree with that. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't. But I would be very cautious when you have so few in the coming years and you've had so few in the past years. I think you've got to be pretty careful of that.
1: Yeah, and if you look at, obviously, the the Westbrook trade complicates the way they, they value, the way they handle their young assets moving forward because they're not going to have an opportunity to get many. And, um, and the buyout market is something that they've been successful at getting good players to fill out roles for. <laughs> I'm curious to see if they use the opportunity because they're clearly going to trade in i I'm curious to see if it's going to be a purely financial move or, or, or if it's going to be something more that well, along the lines of what we talked about, is it going to be uh they put in their 2019, their 2021st and they, they, Salvage together as many small salaries as they can because they, as you said, they can't use their big salaries. I'm curious to see if they put together that kind of trade, or if it's going to be a purely here a cash to considerations, here's a second round pick, uh, take on the salary. I, I, I want to know. Go ahead.
0: You could do either one of those using his contract. So, in other words, the thing the other team is getting is the pick, and his salary enables you to do it within the rules but the other team doesn't do it for Nene, obviously. They do it for whatever pick. Yeah, I could see that. Like I said, I would be more cautious with the first-round pick than they're likely to be. And then the other thing is, I would even consider, if I were them, uh, there was a chance, and this is very unusual, so it probably wouldn't happen. Hey, if they could trade that pick for a pick down the road, a first-round pick down the road, to where in the years when Oklahoma City has their picks, They have one. Now you're getting to maybe post-James contract or post-Russ contract. Just to have a pick in your pocket down then in in those years, there would be some of a valuable way to use the pick that they have now. Again, they're not thinking that way. They're they're all in on this year. If they're going to use that pick as anything other than a player to be selected in June, they're not looking down the road. They're looking for this year.
1: Yeah, and I'm curious to see if um if if they put all their chips in on the trade deadline or the buyout market, because for me it looks like this season's gonna be an either or proposition for them. Because if you, look at, if you look at the kind of trade that we're talking about, that's that's going to happen at the deadline and they'll probably only need to add one player to fill that role. Because I, I don't think they have many roster needs other than the 6-6 six, like six, six to 6-8 to six, kind of forward that we're talking about. I don't think outside of that, I don't think they really have any other needs assuming they have Isaiah play backup center for the rest of the season. Now, if they choose to do that through the buyout market, I don't think they're going to make a trade. I, I, I think it will be the same kind of Nene kind of cash dump, and I think that's going to be it. Where do you tend to lean on things? Do do you feel like they're going to be? Do you feel like they're going to make a buyout move, or do you feel like it's going to happen at the deadline if they're going to make a move?
0: Well, I couldn't even guess buyout move because other than Aguadala, do we have any real good guesses over who's going to be free?
1: I guess maybe Marvin Williams. I, I it, it's it's a tough. It's tough to project this far out.
0: All right. I like Marvin Williams a lot in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and But if you put him on the trade market, it, that's what makes the buyout market so hard to predict. These are guys that couldn't be traded, where they tried to trade him and failed to. Why are they going to fail to trade him? So he makes a pretty good salary, real good salary. But, you know, that, that's what makes it so unpredictable that they couldn't find a move. Uh, Again, I don't know if they think like I do, but to me, if they had a range shooting for who could play five, that would be something that they really don't have unless other than PJ. But they don't have a three-point shooting five. And that I think they could use. It would be really, as you were saying, really hard for them to take up a guard or really a wing. Because you look at it really these days, And in their offense, point guard wings and bigs. It would be hard to pick up a wing who's going to get a lot of playing time. That would be a tough move to make. If they could, you would be a really good player. So that would be interesting. But could you find a guy who in some situations can give you the spacing that they get from the small lineups without having to go real small? Now you're starting to talk about a range-shooting 3 and D guy with an emphasis on D. Yeah, they don't have those just hanging around everywhere. You know, I'm not sure where you're getting one of those. You know, Sam Perkins isn't coming out of retirement. Where are you getting one from? That's what I think can get minutes if they can pick one up.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, this is going to be kind of a dumb question. It is currently 8.46 at the time of recording. Have we passed the, t- the point of no return with Gary Clark's guarantee date?
0: I, I'm not sure. I mean, it, 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 I think that the intention isn't that they're going to drop him. Um, now, I mean they like him. I, I've talked to them about him a lot, and you know when I talk about a rain shooting five, they talk about Gary Clark. That they view him as best as a big, and he obviously is a rain shooting guy. He, that's what he's going to do if he plays. They, they, they value him. They like him, and so they don't play him. But they like him in small lineups. Uh, they, and you know what else? I've uh, asked about you know his rebounding. He had a series of games in which he did play and didn't rebound. And they have confidence in that, too. That you know he probably doesn't do what Clint does, which is really a remarkable skill he has that people don't talk about. He can switch onto guards, defend them, and then still get the rebound. And Gary Clark hasn't shown that he's been able to go hit the boards and get through the traffic and... Get a contested rebound when he's had to switch on to perimeter players well that's a really tough thing to do uh, it's a it's a clint quality that doesn't get talked about a lot but they they have confidence in him he can rebound well enough to be that space for spacing big so everything I've heard of they talk about his future and not you know well we tried it didn't work that that's not been the language on him
1: yeah, and and I don't want to get sidetracked too much on this, but I think this is an interesting conversation because I I talk about Gary Clark a lot on this podcast because when I watch him, like to me, he is a a more interesting player in theory than in practice because. I, I, I don't know what it is, but I, I feel like there's like a motor issue there. Because when I, when I when I came into summer league and I, and I went to go watch the Rockets summer league, I, I thought he was going to dominate summer league. I thought him and Isaiah would dominate summer league. I thought that this is this is this is their time to kind of prove. Like this this is their fork in the road kind of moment, right? This is their opportunity to earn playing time. And at that time, the Rockets had not signed Tyson Chandler, so there was plenty of minutes to be had at that at that time in the in, in the season. So. I, and and Gary kind of was kind of disappointing to me, honestly. Like I, I, no. I, I I'm not. Now we're going to disagree. Well, I gave you no
0: question for the in theory rather than practice part, but I completely disagree with you on the summer league. Evaluation. Wow. Gary is a guy who has to play off someone else. He is not a take over the court kind of guy. Well, you know, to where I'm not
1: saying take over, but play well. Like at summer league. Yeah.
0: Those are the guys who do well in summer league. Role players sometimes get left out, and they do in the G League too. You know, it's the guy who gets his own off the dribble, who, who's a pick and roll guy, either with the ball or roll man. That's not Gary. You know, it, that's why he ever, he doesn't put up great numbers in the G League either. But can he go get to the corner fast and wait for James to set him up? That that's where and. Or he can pick and pop a little bit and wait for the double team on James. That's what he can do. Where he fits in the with the Rockets and, and why they think he has value to them. Because what he does do is the only thing they're going to ask him to do. They're never going to give him the ball unless it's just catch and shoot.
1: Well, yeah. So I guess my question is like, what is what is your faith in Gary? Like, and and like. In terms of his ability to earn minutes, what can he do to crack the rotation? Because there are a lot of fans that want him to play. Like it's, I mean, we talk, we joke about this at the Toyota Center. Like this is something that we hear about a lot from fans. Like fans want Gary Clark to play, and I just look at the rotation. And I'm just like, so who are you going to play him ahead of? Because I, I look at I look at the rotation right now, and I'm just like, there's just no time for him there. And when he when he takes the floor, like I just i see I see instances of Gary Clark possibly working out like he'll have an awesome game when he gets a st- when he gets time sometimes, but there are also games where he'll get like a donut, and I'm not talking about points. I'm talking about like a effort and I, I just want to know where you stand on him right now.
0: well you, you can't squeeze him in into the current rotation I mean they're, they're not going to do that they're not even get, they're not getting enough time for Austin Rivers right now and you'd say well they're completely different positions yeah but it's a chain reaction down the line and so they, they can't they're not going 10 11 deep certainly not 11 and every win matters you know and i never understand why fans don't they step back and act like no no every win doesn't matter play this guy play the next develop them but then go crazy when they lose one you know it's have it both ways. They got to, and when you're a contender and you're fighting for positioning, everyone matters. They're not going 11 deep. Yeah. I do think he can do some things, but given their shaky rebounding in that second unit, if, they, if they're going to play him as a small ball, big, he's going to have to rebound, and he doesn't seem to be a, a, a guy who picks up high volume defensive rebounds. And maybe if they boxed out better, he would then be the guy who cleans up better. You know, who? okay, everybody had their guy, and he came back in from the perimeter or, you know, whatever position he ended up in defensively. But he has not been consistent as a defensive rebounder. I think he has that potential, but we haven't seen it consistently in his inconsistent minutes yet to – Know that he will be able to do that. I think he plays hard. The way he chases loose balls and chases long offensive rebounds, I think he's a guy who he runs the floor really well to the corners. I think he's willing to. You know, I, I even tweeted this once. If there was a loose ball, but he had to go through a wall to get it, Gary Clark would go through that wall. <laughs> and so I think he, he has a chance to rebound well enough to be the floor spacing big, to play in that role. But for that to happen, somebody's got to be out. Because right now, he's not in the rotation, and I don't see them extending the rotation further than it is.
1: Right. So if Gary's not that guy, in, in your opinion, and I don't, don't want to ruin any columns you may be working on, but who on the trade market is an affordable option that you could possibly see Houston targeting with the contracts to that they have? It up. Oh, the
0: one thing I'll add on Gary is that, as we were talking about earlier, they will have times they want to use that small lineup again. That could be Gary rather than go with the P.J., even though they can now do it with P.J. and still keep him to the 32-minute range, now that Eric Gordon's back, and so therefore Daniel House can play back up four, well, now you can play P.J. as a, as a four-spacing five in some lineups. But that's where Gary can get some minutes still. Rather than Isaiah, depending on the matchups and the game and how it's going. So, wouldn't rule that out. As far as your question, I mean, you try and shake around the league, and everybody's there's been talking about Covington, of course. Um,
1: Maybe Jay Crowder. Uh, how
0: about this one?
1: Was that? Jay Crowder?
0: Yeah, I mean, it could be. Uh, Crowder, uh, you know, although he's on a team that I don't think is in a seller situation. Um, Bruno Cabacal is not playing at all for Memphis. He didn't play. I don't think he played a minute today uh, or yesterday, rather. Um, you know, range shooting. He's got some skills there. He's six nine. I know the players liked him a lot in, in uh, Lake Charles, uh, and I think a little beyond that too. Uh, Rocket players. You know, I, I haven't spent a lot of time making up trades in my head, but I bet the two of us could go through rosters and say, Ooh, there's a guy who's not getting many minutes who would have a role defined with the Rockets to where he might be able to do things where he can't on his current team. Um, You know, but like I said, I haven't spent time yet making up trades. If I hear something that's different, but um, like everybody's heard, there was interest in Covington, but he makes a lot of money. Covington, to make it work financially. And the Timberwolves, they need help. They're not giving a guy away. They're, uh, the Timberwolves are not, in my opinion, in a situation where they just want to sell, hey, we're not good, we're a lottery team, let's get rid of contracts. Uh-huh. I don't see them that way. So he'd be tough. But that's what I would look for now. I'd look at rosters, who's not playing, who in the Rockets situation, might be able to help in other words all you're going to do here is catch and shoot threes um and defend who would that be
1: yeah yeah it's it's, and it's tough but what we're essentially saying here is that they don't have that guy right now and going back to the conversation that we had earlier like i guess where i land on the rockets is ultimately like they're they're very close but i don't think they're there yet in terms of being all the way there as a tier 1 title contender contending with the bucks contending with the lakers i think if they can get if they can grab that guy they can get there they have the ability to get there i i just where i land with them is they're not there yet
0: yeah but to me first of all you're only getting there on russ and james i mean in the end they're good enough the guys around them are all good enough those two guys have to be great. They have to be at a level that they're not getting anyone that elevates Russ or James to a level they're not already at. It's just a little help. But they're not elevating themselves to beat the Lakers level because they got so-and-so to help out Russ and James get there. So I'm not sure I view it in that standpoint, in, in that sort of perspective. I would say, we don't know yet, we'll, when will Eric be the full Eric? Well, th- is Daniel House the answer there? This is his first year as a starter. He's been kind of up and down. He hasn't progressed as a rebounder, all of which is possible. You know, he can do just what they need him to do. But that's what has to happen in the remaining 48 games of the year, um, 47 games of the year. Can he get there? Um, those are things more than who you bring in that I, I would watch. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's another rotation guy. Does Ben Mclemore continue to merit his replacement in the rotation? You know, he has shot well enough, but you know some downtimes too. Can he be a reliable come in and shoot in playing off of Russ guy? You know, I think those are more likely to be key issues than who they pick up in, in a month.
1: Yeah, possibly. Possibly. And Ben McLemore, by the way, he continues to confound me by the way he just is just like a plus-minus god. And, and I'm not just talking about like <laughs> NBA.com stats. Like I went on Cleaning the Glass the other day. He's still like one of the leaders in, on the team in plus-minus. I, I, it, it continues to confound me. But uh, It is amazing, although he's
0: no Ryan Anderson.
1: No, right. no. <laughs> yeah, but he 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 is up there, though. He is up there. well uh, no, no, I think
0: it's like 118. His offensive rating is like 118. It's just ridiculous how good it is. And it and it has been there for a long time. It's not just that it's, you know, a hot streak and some fake numbers.
1: Yeah, it's not fading. His
0: offensive rating has been ridiculous yeah. all year. You know, Ryan Anderson, well, you know, he played in about three games. And so it's there, and now he's not in the league, so it's staying there. But... Yeah, Isaiah Hardenstein's offensive rating is way up there.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, it kind of shows, though, sometimes the guys off the bench, you know, sometimes it's a little bit about who you play with, too. You know, and against. Um, I'm not sure Isaiah Hardenstein and James Harden are are interchangeable as offensive forces. But their offensive rating is about the same
1: yeah yeah uh you know who knows maybe maybe it's t- we got to just go tell daryl you know you trade hard and build around isaiah it's a cheaper option it's much cheaper but if
0: you look at the top 10 in the nba or maybe top 20 10, 15 to 20 most of those guys are playing limited minutes and yeah. for james to be up as high as he is is really incredible um and for starters who play against starters you know that it's but you see a lot of Isaiah Hartensteins in that top 15 or 20 or offensive rating.
1: Yeah, it, it is really incredible. But I've wasted too much of your time, Jonathan, on my silly podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can we find your work?
0: Uh, well, obviously, uh, the the good stuff, uh, HoustonChronicle.com and go to TXSN, Texas Sports Nation, Uh You know that's where the rewrites go and the off-date features and those kinds of things and then there's always HoustonChronicle.com under sports Uh, so those two places most of all some of the quick news hits would always be just the Chron.com but you don't get a whole lot from the free site as you would at at Texas Sports Nation HoustonChronicle.com Texas Sports Nation or if you follow me Jonathan underscore Fagan on Twitter I try to always have, well there's the automated links or tweets that will provide a link. And I try and remember to put some up there too, most of them. But there's always the automated one. So those come eventually too. And so you can get a link to all the stuff that way. Awesome.
1: Yeah, awesome. Thank you for asking
0: that too.
1: No, for sure. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, subscribe to the Race News Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Make sure to give us five stars on iTunes because that really helps people find the show. And yeah, guys, good night.